Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Can you hear me? Yeah, good. All right. Uh, I put my lights on here. Okay. I know most of you were expecting Adam. You got me. Uh, this morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, I got a phone call, said, hey, can you preach? I said, sure. When? Is it in a couple hours? So wait, are you crazy? Um, yeah, no problem. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Gary Vermas. I have to say the doctor because I spent five years getting a PhD and no one cares. So this is the only time that I can say it. Uh, so yeah, that's who I am. Uh, my wife's not here. She was here this morning. Uh, I'm married uh, to Dr. Jody Vermas. Uh, my wife actually has two PhD degrees. So you can see who the real winner is in our marriage. Uh, Jody and I have 12 children. Uh, so we have 10 that have been adopted, six from the Philippines, three from China, one from India, and we have two biological uh, children. My daughter is, is there uh, with us today. Uh, almost all my family was here this morning, so they get credit. Okay, so uh, I am, uh, my, in, my, in my day-to-day life, I am founder and CEO of an international architecture and engineering firm. We design hotels all over the world, uh, so that's what I get to do. That's the game I get to play every day. I'm originally from New Jersey, which is why most of you don't think I'm very nice. Um, I'm nice in New Jersey, but nice in Jersey and Tennessee are two very different things. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Anyway, turn with me. I'm excited about the sermon this morning, Matthew 28, or you can look at the screen. And we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Some women, so, so the women hurried away from the tomb, and yet filled with joy, they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, they met, met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him while you were asleep. Okay, so there's the story. Easter is an incredible time. We come together, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. There are so many different things that we could talk about, so many different applications, right? But for me, the most exciting and the most important thing that we could talk about are facts. Uh, as you know, I'm an engineer. I love facts. Now, I know that facts can be a little bit dry, but for the last 20 years of my life, I have been studying the facts of the resurrection and the ins and outs of Christianity. And I think there is nothing more exciting than proving that Jesus did rise from the dead. See, 23 years ago, I stumbled into church after a full night of partying, and I was with a girl whose name I didn't know. 
And I showed up at church, hungover and miserable, and she dragged me there for some reason. I don't know why she was going. And I met a young man who came up to me, and he asked me, and he challenged me to study the Bible. He said, do you want to study the Bible? And I thought, no, absolutely not. But I thought he was such a loser that I felt bad for him. I was like, man, this kid is kind of weird. All right, fine. So the next day, he came over to my house, and he kept coming to my house. Once or twice a week, he would come and he would open up the Bible and he would teach me the Bible and I decided to read it. And I read the Bible over and over and over because I was trying to prove a way that I could not do it. See, I didn't really want to be a Christian. I, di I, didn't, I, I was happy with the way my life was going. I was happy with everything about my life, my job, my friends, my partying. I really didn't want to change. But as I kept reading, the facts became clear. And over, after several months, three months, it was the facts of the resurrection that actually converted me to Christianity 23 years ago, and it's what's kept me going for 23 years, and now with 12 children. Um, you know, the resurrection of Jesus is the basis of all Christianity. All of the major world religions, if you think about it for a minute, all of the major world religions are based on philosophical propositions, except for four. There are four that are based on personalities, Right? Abraham, he's the father of the Judaism. He died in 1900. No one ever claimed that he resurrected. Buddha died. No one ever claimed that he resurrected. Muhammad died on June 8, 1632, uh, at the age of 61 at Medina. And his grave is visited millions of times over the year by his followers. Uh, all of the millions of Jews, Muslims, Buddhists agree that their founder has never resurrected from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the central doctrine of Christianity. It affirms that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. Without the resurrection, the Apostle Paul basically says, Christian preaching and beliefs are totally meaningless. The if the resurrection is not true, everything that we're doing as Christians is a total waste of time. It's just stupid, actually. It doesn't make any sense. So Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection. If you could disprove the resurrection, all of Christianity would be gone. For Christians, I think the facts that prove the resurrection are very exciting, right? God is not asking us to go against our best, our best logical judgment. The resurrection is a real event. It really happened. And every single people in history have to deal with that event. No matter who you are, where you are, you've got to figure out in your life what that event meant. Most people decide, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to, I don't, or I'm going to put it on a shelf, or I'm going to call Jesus a teacher, but they don't want to deal with the event. According to biblical historian Wilbur Smith, he says, the nature of the resurrected body of Jesus may be a mystery, but the fact that the body disappeared from the tomb is a matter to be decided upon by historical evidence. In other words, Christianity is not a philosophical mystery based on opinions and theories and teachings. It is a historical event. Uh, it's, a, it's a truth based on a historical event. Let's look at what uh, Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And then verse 17, he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul says, without a resurrection, 
everything we're doing here is stupid. That's what he's telling us. According to biblical scholar William Lane Craig, he says, without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could have never come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. Even if they had continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of him being the Messiah. The cross would have remained a sad and shameful end of his career. The origin of Christianity therefore hinges on the belief of the early disciples that God had raised Jesus from the dead. A lot of people, I don't know about you, I, I've got the chance to travel the world. I've been to many different countries, many different times, and had many conversations with people from different religions. And what everybody wants to do is boil Christianity down to its teachings. Because when you boil Christianity down to its teachings, it's not that different than Buddhism, Islam. I mean, yes, there are some differences in the teachings, but it's, it's similar, right? So everybody wants to bring it all together to the teachings. Of course, we do follow Jesus' teachings, but the problem with teachings, our teachings can be changed, they can be misunderstood, they can be modified, but the resurrection, what's, what's great about our awesome God is he made Christianity, our faith, based on an event, the resurrection. What's great about the, the resurrection is it can't be modified. It can't be changed. It's an event. It's the power of God. It's not a list of to-dos, do's and don'ts. And all of us as Christians, in our humanism, what do we try to do? We try to make Christianity a checklist every day. Do X, don't do Y, be a good person. And we try to boil Christianity into something that God never intended. And we're missing the complete point of the resurrection. And we'll talk about that in the end. So let's do this together. Let's go through a couple facts. Let's, let's look at the facts together. And then let's see what Jesus says, right? Or what, let's see what the facts say. So let's start with the claims that Jesus made while he was on earth. Look with me in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. All right, think about the claims that Jesus is making here. What would you say if I were to tell you, hey, I'm going to die, right? In a couple weeks, I'm going to be completely dead, right? Maybe you try to comfort me. Now I say, no, 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 don't comfort me. I'm, I'm definitely dying. Then you would say, well, maybe you should see, you know, see counseling for depression. Maybe your wife can use one of the two PhD degrees she has in mental health counseling and give you the help that you need, right? But then I said, not only am I going to die, but three days after I die, I'm going to resurrect from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to be dead, and then I'm going to be alive. What would you do at that point? If I totally believe that, I think you'd probably check me into a hospital. Right? You would say, this guy's crazy. If I came to church, you would tell people, don't talk to him. He has 12 kids and he's crazy. Right? Like he's, something's wrong with that man. Like don't, just don't even bother. And then I'd stand outside the Starbucks and you know, that would be my life. Right? <laughs> Everything I said after that point of claiming to die and resurrect would be just absolutely disregarded as absolute craziness. This guy is completely nuts. Most people in the world outside of Christians, want to claim that Jesus is a good moral teacher, right? They want to say, he's a good guy, he's good teachings, good, good, all good, but he never rose from the dead. You have to understand this is impossible. This is a very ignorant thing to say. You cannot say this. If Jesus never resurrected, he was a crazy person. He wasn't a good moral teacher. So the first facts of the resurrection we got to look at is that Jesus really did die. 
There is a swoon theory out there that says that Jesus didn't die, that he got off the cross and somehow was able to live, right? From the evidence we read in the Bible, from other sources, most medical researchers agree that Jesus died from a rupture of the heart. That's how he, he died. There are numerous medical journals where doctors have researched all the evidence, Harvard Medical Journal, and they have all concluded beyond any doubt that Jesus definitely died on the cross. There is an enormous amount of evidence to know that Jesus was dead. And then, to boot, we had Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and Pilate required a certificate of death at the time of any prisoner's death. We know that from the Bible, but also from other sources as well. According to historical records, four executioners came to examine to make sure Jesus was dead. Their whole job in life was to make sure that this guy was dead. So they're probably pretty good at their job. Also, they understood, yeah, he's dead, right? We read about these soldiers and these centurions in all four gospels. And for anyone to say that Jesus didn't die, it goes against all the facts of the case and against all medical research and against all logic, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Look at Matthew 27. Verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had been a disciple, become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out from a rock. He rolled the big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite of the tomb. The word tomb occurs 32 times in four separate gospels accounts of the resurrection. Four accounts all named Joseph of Arimathea as the man who buried Jesus' body. Here's a great quote. Wilbur Smith says this, We know more about the burial of Jesus than we know about the burial of any single character in ancient history. We know who took the body from the cross. We know about the wrapping of the body in spices and in burial clothes. We know the very tomb in which the body was placed. We know the name of the man who owned the tomb, Joseph from the town of Arimathea. We even know where the tomb was located, in a garden near to the place where he was crucified outside the city walls. We have four records of this burial of Jesus, all of them in amazing agreement. Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while, this, while he, Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Here's proof of what Jesus was telling people. They knew he's saying he's going to rise again. So give the order to make the tomb, to, for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So the opening in the central chamber was guarded by a rock, a large, large rock that took many men to roll in front of the tomb. And then we see in verse 66, the Bible says they put a seal over the tomb. This seal was most likely, according to history, a cord that stretched across the stone from one end to the other, and each end of the cord was sealed with a Roman stamp. The sealing was done in the presence of the Roman guards who were left in charge to protect the seal, and that seal represented the power of Rome. Anyone who tried to move the stone would first 
have to deal with the Roman guards. Then they'd have to break the Roman seal and they would have incurred on themselves the wrath of the Roman law. Anyone at that day and age knew what they were doing if they were going after that. The Roman guard sent to protect Jesus' tomb was between 10 and 30 Roman soldiers being commanded by a centurion designated by Pilate himself. This wasn't the B team. (laughs) This was the A team. It would only make sense that Pilate would choose a centurion he trusted because this political matter was of such a grave importance at this point, and this guy was scared to death of losing his job and actually being killed, Pilate himself. And the Roman guards have one job, protect this tomb. There's 20 or 10 or 20 or 30 of them. The punishment for a Roman soldier quitting his post or not doing his job was death. And they knew that. So imagine if you're the disciple and you're going to try to steal the body, you'd have to murder 10 to 30 trained Roman guards who were designed and trained to kill you. Then you'd have to break the seal and incur the wrath of the Roman law and roll the stone back. It just doesn't make sense when people say the disciples stole the body. Jesus died. He was buried. The tomb was sealed. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead and left us, the world, the empty tomb. The fact of the resurrection is indisputable in my mind. Right from the beginning, Christian teaching promoted a living, raised, resurrected Savior. The Jewish authorities at that time opposed the Christians, and they were prepared to go to any length to destroy the Christians. They would do whatever it took. And you imagine how easy their job would have been if they could have invited potential converts over to, the, to, to see the body of Jesus? Hey, come see the body. It would be all over, right? That would have been the end of the Christian message. So after Jesus resurrected, he appears 11 times, 11 times to Mary Magdalene, to the women returning from the tomb, to Peter later in that day, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, to the apostles without Thomas, then again to the apostles with Thomas, to the seven by the lake of Tiberias, uh, to the multitude of 500 believers on a Galilean mountain, to James, to the 11 apostles, and finally at the ascension. J.N.D. Anderson says this, the most drastic way of dismissing the evidence would be to say that these stories are just mere fabrications. They are pure lies. But as far as I know, not a single critic today takes such an attitude or a position. In fact, it would be an impossible position to take because there were over 500 witnesses. Think of the absurdity. Picturing a little band of defeated cowards cowering in an upper room one day and a few days later transformed into a company of men and women that no one could silence and then attempting to attribute that dramatic change to nothing more than a miserable fabrication that they were trying to foist upon the world. That simply would not make sense. After Jesus was killed, his followers were hiding. They were scared. They thought they were going to be murdered. They were anxious. They were defeated. And a few days later, they pulled together and became a group of men who had changed the world forever. All of those men but one were horribly murdered and tortured for what they believed in preaching the resurrection of Jesus. They started a revolution, the likes of which no one could have ever imagined. And if we say all of this power came from a group of scared men who made up a lie and then all died for that lie would be absurd. You'd have to go beyond all human instinct 
and logic to even start believing this fabrication. Satan does not have a good argument here. He just doesn't. You just got to get people to take the time to think about it. In 56 AD, Paul wrote that over 500 people had seen the risen Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6. Right? It passes the bounds of credibility that early Christians could have manufactured a tale and then preached it to the people, 500 of them, who could have easily refuted it simply by producing the body of Jesus. If I were to lie to 500 people and, and they could produce the body of Jesus, it wouldn't go anywhere. It just doesn't make any sense. The resurrection of Jesus is attested by four separate gospels, the history of the early church, the book of Acts, the letters of Paul, Peter, James, John, the letters to the Hebrews. It's talked about in numerous non-biblical references, right? There is a huge diversity of credible witnesses, and it would simply be unreasonable to think that the resurrection never happened. That doesn't make any sense. Often Christians... I don't know about you. I did my PhD at Columbia University, a very secular university. I lived in New York for many years and I was criticized all the time for being a Christian. When you tell people in New York City you're a Christian, they look at you like you're mentally incapable, right? Like you're an idiot, like the dumbest person they've ever met, right? I was criticized for many years of my life for having blind faith. But I, I believe the evidence is clear. I studied it for 20 years. It takes far more faith to not believe in the resurrection than it does to believe in the resurrection. Either one is a faith decision and the evidence is clear. And I think that's what we need to teach. On Acts chapter two, in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, Peter's in the city of Jerusalem. He stands up and he preaches. What does he preach? The resurrection of Jesus to thousands of Jews. Nobody argues him. There's no argument anywhere in history that can be found to that sermon, right? Why did no one argue? Why did no one stand up? because the evidence of the empty tomb was there for anyone to examine. All they had to say was, hey, walk out there. Joseph of Marimathia, you know him. His tomb's over there. There's no more body. Where's the body? Why would 3,000 Jews be baptized on that day? Because they knew over there in Joseph's tomb, there's no more body. They weren't following a new made-up religion. They were following a risen Messiah. The Church of Christ was founded on the resurrection. If they could disprove that, they would, have dis they would have stopped Christianity. The silence of the Jews in the first century at that time is as significant, if not more, than the speech of the Christians. We have to see that. We think about it today, you turn on the TV, someone says one thing, and there's a million people refuting it, right? Talking about it. No one said anything about Peter's sermon, and we can't find it anywhere in history. The book of Acts, okay, I'm gonna end up here. Book of Acts in Acts chapter 26 my favorite story in the Bible. Paul is in chains. He's in prison. He has to go testify before King Agrippa. And this testimony that he gives will either release him or he will be killed. So, I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, hey, I'm not killed. You know, let's figure this out here. And this is what he says. <clears throat> but I've had God's help to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. 
I am not attained, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. He can't. He's not allowed to speak freely to the king. He has no rules or laws that allow him to do that. But he thinks in his mind he is free because of the power of the resurrection. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in that such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. In this passage, throughout the book of Acts, the first century church, church, the resurrection was what the Christians had to offer. It wasn't based on emotion. It wasn't based on blind faith. It wasn't based on the beautiful church building or all their programs. It wasn't based on the latest Christian talk show or Christian music that was out there. The resurrection was based on a historical fact. It was the only thing that they had. It was true and it was reasonable and it wasn't done in the corner. The early Christians knew every single person has to deal with the resurrection. And they were probably a lot more successful than we are today. So my question, let me end up here. Where are you today? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? If you don't, I urge you to study it out. Ask the person who invited you today or somebody in the room, hey, study the Bible. Be like me. I don't want to do it, but I will, right? It's a historical problem, and it's a problem that can be solved. You can get the evidence. It's all there. The question is, do you really want to know? <coughs> the resurrection turned catastrophe into victory. That's the story. Catastrophe into victory. Quickly. So the same thing is true today. For those of us that are Christians that believe in resurrection? Are you allowing the resurrection to turn your life into victory every day? Or are you living in the catastrophe moment? You know, the issues. Are the issues of your life, day in and day out, shouting, like crowding out the power of the resurrection? I mean, as true followers of Jesus, we need to live resurrected lives. Romans 6 says, crucify your sinful nature and be raised with Christ in his resurrection. When you wake up in the morning, are you living a resurrected life? Are you repenting of your selfishness with your family and in your marriage, right? Are you crucifying your bitter attitudes and anger and being resurrected with forgiveness and love and joy? Not because it's all about my marriage or what's fair, but because you compare your life to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. It has nothing to do with anything else out there. It only has to do with the resurrection. Are you being res resurrected from the secret sins that no one else knows about. The simple patterns that you're a slave to right now. Are you being resurrected? Are you getting open? Are you getting help? Is your heart being resurrected? Are you truly learning how to love people? Not because of what they've done, but because of the resurrection. Because of Jesus. Too many times we get too cynical. We get too worldly. We make our marriage about the other person. We make our family about the other person. We make it about the circumstances. It has nothing to do with what's going on in our lives. It's all about the resurrection. It's all about Jesus. Nothing else matters. Are you building your marriage and your family on the fact that you are a resurrected person? Are you resurrected with a new mission to seek and save the lost and teach them about the resurrection? The exciting thing to me about the resurrection of Christ 
is that this is what we have to offer other people. We don't want their money. We don't really need their time. We are not trying to sell a gimmick. We're not trying to get people to believe in something that can't be proved. What we teach, what we believe, what we offer, it's true. It's reasonable. In fact, in my opinion, to be unreasonable to believe anything else. We don't base, base our life on blind faith. The tomb was empty. It was empty 2,000 years ago. It's still empty today. Christ has risen from the dead. Christ is the Messiah, and our lives have been resurrected. Happy Easter. Amen.